Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us another gracious day. Father, we commit this hour to you. We ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, that you communicate through me so I can communicate what you need to be heard today, that your will be done. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for each and every individual here, either those who know you and those who don't know you, that you touch us wherever we are and meet our need accordingly. And we commit this hour to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was in Kenya, I would say, Buona Sifiwe, meaning, praise the Lord. And you can say, Asifiwe Buona. That's what we say. So, but you're not in Kenya. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is George Kinyanjui. Uh, my family and I have been in this church for the last 22, 23 years. Uh, I came here as a teacher, uh, the first African-American or African to be at this school at Grace. That time it was called Grace uh, Brethren. And I spent eight years teaching students, both social studies and Bible. Uh, my wife here, Athiria uh, Kenyanjui, uh, we met in college, uh, Bible college. And I thank God that he brought her to me. I'm here because of her, actually. Uh, she has guided me in some areas which I was lacking. And me in her areas, she was lacking. And we thank God for that. God has blessed us with three kids. Uh, Kara, who is our daughter, who you have been praying for, keep praying. Jonathan, who is your son, he is married, he has one daughter, my uh, he, and my son, my daughter has one daughter, so we have two grandkids. We have Joshua, who is in Lancaster Bible College, he's a fourth year in college, keep him in prayer. Um, and I'm going to say this, thank for Stacy's group, life group that have been coordinating for food and other things when we had that tragic event when somebody tried to kill our daughter. Keep her in prayer uh, mentally and for physically. She needs healing, and we thank you for being there for us. Uh, this morning, we are going to be going to the book of Colossians uh, 2, verse 6 through 7, talking about Jesus Christ, our equilibrium. Now, we know that in order for you to walk, you need to have balance. If you don't have uh, and you're mighty in Christ Jesus, with a purpose, uh, you are created, and I was created with a purpose in Christ Jesus so that we can do his work. Uh, so balance is important in everything we do. We can't have that without him in our lives. Uh, therefore, it's imperative that we give Christ his uh, place in our hearts so that he can govern how we think, how we talk, how we relate to others, and in everything else that we do in life. However, what I'm going to say is that this book was written to the book, the people of Colossians, the, the book of Colossae, actually, the people in the city of Colossae, which is a modern-day Turkey today. I just put a little map there. If you notice that map, we have all the seven churches addressing the book of uh, Revelation. And the church of Colossae is one of them there. Uh, Colossians are the people. And Paul writing to them, he was writing for a specific reason. Uh, the reason he was writing, he was writing to talk to them about their life with Christ and what was going on in their lives. And therefore he says, therefore, 
as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Notice the arrangement of the words. There is a reason why those names were put that way. Uh, as you study Greek, you understand why they are put that way when Paul said that because he wanted to address specific areas of their lives. And he continued to say, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in all things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin, having been deeply rooted in him and being continually built in him and becoming increasingly more established in your faith, just as you are taught, and as a result of a flowing in with all gratitude. So the last one had to do with uh, who Christ is, what Christ is doing in our life. So Christ Jesus, our Lord, is the one whom they received, is the one that we received. Uh, and to, to speak for that is that we all here, those who know Christ, have received Jesus Christ in our lives. What does that mean? Uh, it means many things to many people. Uh, but for, for me, it means that I allow him to be the ruler in my life. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but what I know is that receiving Christ means that he is the Messiah uh, from Greek text. And from Hebrew, he is the anointed one. Now, anointed one is talking about a deity, something out of this world entering in your life, so to change your life, that need to be changed to reflect who he is. And therefore, it says that as a Messiah, he comes to your life as anointed king, so to speak. And a king doesn't ask permission, a king take over. A king come to rule and to govern. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we allow Christ to come to our living room, and we show him where the bathroom is and where the, the refrigerator is. And we say, Jesus, this is where you're supposed to be. You can't go to the bedroom and the next room. Those are mine to keep. But you have all these areas. Unfortunately, when the king comes, the whole place becomes his. And we need to get that in our mind. That when a king comes, he comes to rule not to be told what to do. He is the one saying what needs to be done. And that changes everything. Therefore, as we go forward, we need to understand that Jesus is not just something we put in our, finger, our hands like an ornament or accessory for whenever we need him, but he is there to tell us what to do in our daily decisions, in our workplace, in our relationship to one another, in our relationship to our dear brothers and sisters, and how we talk to them and how we communicate who he is. Then he is also anointed prophet. What does a prophet does? He says, thus says the Lord. They don't communicate their message. They communicate the message from the sender. But Jesus Christ is the one communicator to us. Jesus speaks for God as a prophet par excellence, being one from the Father from all eternity, sent and uniquely qualified to do what the Father told him to do and to reveal the Father to us. As he told his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The disciples keep asking that question until he was crucified, but they didn't get it. But I hope we get that he speaks with authority about this life, life to come, 
lake of fire, and paradise. And he has authoritative power because he is the prophet and the king. Then he comes as anointed priest because he sacrificed himself for you and I so that we may have eternal life. And he died on the cross not because of the sacrifice, like sacrifices that were done by the priests which were continually every year, but he did it once. He gave his life for you and I so that we may follow him, not follow human philosophy and other things in life. Not only that, we receive him as Jesus. Notice these names have significance. Jesus is his, his human name announced to Mary by the angel, which means in uh, Hebrew, Yeshua, which says Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which is lost, or which was lost, you and I. Although we toss around the word salvation as a common term, we need to remember that it's a radical word that changes everything. Good people who just need a little help, advice here and there, don't need salvation. People who are functioning very well in their own don't need to be saved. Self-righteousness blinds us all to the need of Jesus Christ who saves us from our sin. But sinners who are lost and alienated from the Holy God and unable to do anything to reconcile themselves to him need to know and they need to be rescued from the wrath of God. And that is where we are ourselves. The Bible says that while God is a personal God, and at the same time he dwells in an approachable right, whom no man has seen or can see, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He is so holy that when the ungodly prophet Isaiah saw him in the throne, he said, O unto me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The question is, how can we know and be close to God and the Holy God? The good news is that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. If you are here and you are a sinner, you don't know Lord Jesus Christ, he is here to save you. If you are here as a believer who know God, he has continued to deliver consistently. Because when salvation happened down there, it's having an ongoing effect. And that's what Jesus wants us to know today. Not only that, we received him as the Lord. That word is very important. Because the Lord come into your life and take the throne of your heart. And your whole life. Sometimes we have compartments. This is for that. This is for that. This is for that. Jesus, don't have, do not have, Jesus does not have compartments. He wants the whole peace. The whole you. The whole me. Therefore, the Colossians received him as Christ, Jesus, and also as Lord, which referred to his deity. The word Lord comes from Old English, which means bread keeper. This is a medieval time. This is a feudal system. That once the Lord was a person who provided food and security for oneself, it is thus, in English, term of nobility held among the feudal system given to one's own master or ruler. In this case, in the Bible itself, it's talking about personal covenant name of God, Adonai, 
the Lord Master who take over your life and guide you, shows you what you don't know, and guide you in all directions that you do, the decision that you do for your life and for your family. In essence, this word focuses on his absolute sovereignty as the creator of the universe and the ruler of all that exists, including you and I. It means that he commands and we must obey and know everything, he knows everything about us. He commands, his commands are not burdensome, but rather good for us so that we may know who he is and what he wants for us. If you and I think that we have received Jesus' Savior and wait later to consider the option of receiving him as Lord, we may not have received him at all because he needs all of you and all of me. So, the Colossians, when he wrote to them, he was writing to them because there was a doctrine going on saying that they need to worship angels, they need to worship the, the, food, the food they eat, uh, moon and other festivities, and human philosophy. And Paul was writing these to them to try to communicate that the sufficient of Christ. Not only that, they received him. Now, the word receive means to receive as transmitted from teachers. Paul received the gospel directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know his Damascus experience. They also, the Colossians, received this message, passed to them to Epipetus. Epipetus was Paul's disciples. And Colossians, therefore, they are Paul's grandchild, spiritual grandchildren. That's why he can communicate to them. Uh, Epipetus came to Paul and told him what was going on. And Paul wrote this letter for him to go lead it to the church and also to the surrounding church. Therefore, there is, there is a history there. Paul never went to Colossae. He never met the people, so to speak, except the evangelist Epipetus. But they were his spiritual grandchildren because Epipetus was spiritual son. Now, the gospel is not human philosophy based on speculation of religious wise men. Rather, it is it was transmitted to us from Jesus Christ through chosen apostles, recorded in the New Testament. It is a testimony about a unique person, Jesus Christ, the Lord. When we believe the gospel, we do not believe a body of doctrine, although that is true. We, however, believe and receive Jesus Christ personally, and he needs to have his rightful place in our lives. The question is, how do we continue in Christ? So, we go on walk. When uh, you are going to walk, you have to be intentional. I walk a lot when I don't learn because the doctor said you don't need to learn anymore because your knees are well, great. So, Dennis, now you, I don't know about you. You have been learning forever. My knees are not. You're giving up. So, I had to walk a lot. So, I walk. I, I intentionally wake up early in the morning, like 5 in the morning, and I prepare myself. Lately, I have not done it because we have other issues going on. And I go outside in my parking lot, and I, and I walk across and back and forth, and I, I do some miles right there. Uh, uh, my neighbor was talking to me the other day, say, I love your walk, but he doesn't walk. So, but I, I don't know about that. So walking means you have to set time aside, and you have to intentionally decide to do it. In this case, Paul is saying to the people of Colossae, 
therefore, the, when you see the word therefore, for those who are grammarian, you know it's saying, since I've already told you something about this, this is what you need to do now. So he's saying, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him. Not outside him. In him. Therefore, the word walk here is very important for us to, to get. Uh, saying walk is used in present tense. I'm not a grammar person, but I go and do my research so I can understand everything here, what I'm doing. Now, this is very important because it's talking about present tense indicating an ongoing process. It is a frequent word used to describe Christian life. In essence, this is a Christian life. It's a marathon. And we need to get you out. Now, I walk with other ladies. In the, we, have, we have a trail. There was no reason why. We have a nice trail right there, down there in Shower Hall. So I decided, okay, I'm going to walk with you. Now, since she is used to walk, she is walking far down there, and I'm back here. So I decided I'm not going to walk anymore. <laughs> so she said, why are you not walking with me anymore? I said, because you're showing off. You're walking all the way, and I'm here. So she said, okay, I'll walk with you. So we started walking together, uh, and we became, I became consistent, consistently, consistently walking. Eventually, I started walking two miles, three miles. Then I said, you know what? I used to learn when I was young, and I could, I could do 100 meters. I could do up to 500 meters. It, it, it didn't matter. So I said, I'm going to do this. So I started jogging a little bit here and there. And before you knew it, uh, I had muscle problem. I go sit down. I can't get up. <laughs> I, and I'm not that. And I'm not that old. Maybe some people may say I'm old. I have gray hair. But so I decided. You know what? I feel good when I walk and I sleep better and I breathe better. Therefore, I'm gonna do it regardless how much pain it is. So I keep moving. I started learning one mile. Then, before you know it, five. Then I started doing 12 miles. Now, my wife says, I, uh, you, 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 now you don't want to walk with me because I said, you know you're impeding me now. Because <laughs> uh, that, what I'm saying is this. Christian life is hard. Walking with Jesus is not easy. You're going to have to be persistent and consistent until you get there. The best thing about this is this. He is not telling you to walk by yourself. He said, I'm walking with you. Notice what Paul said. He, walk in him and he in you, not by yourself. It's easier done with somebody else than yourself. The, this walk also is involving other believers. It's not just you. It's not talking literally walk of physically, talking about spiritual life, doing life in spirit, doing life as a body of Christ together. That's what he's talking about. Therefore, it's important. Now, notice this walk is also going to be deliberate. Walking is not necessarily but being impressive, jumping, and all that. It's something you have to take a step at a time. It's not going to be easy. But you have to be, have tenacity and have the guts to get there to do what you need to do to get to the next level. And the point is, you're walking in him and he in you so you can have the progress that you need. It's not one day thing. 
It's a marathon, and you need to understand that the only way you can get there is to do the work. Now, Paul uses various participle phrases in this, to elaborate this work. He said, being firmly rooted, built up in him, establishing faith, and overflowing with gratitude as a result. So we're going to see these things here first of all. Let me present this before I get to that one. It says, present tense used in Greek here. Uh, it's a perfect tense. It's a gram grammatical co co combination of present tense and perfect aspect that is used to express an event that occurred but have present consequences now. Meaning it happened there when you met Jesus. Because of what happened when you met Jesus, it's on, it have ongoing reverberation on it. It have those traumas on it in your life. The term is used particularly in the context of grammar saying, I have finished, like Jesus said he finished. But what he finished on the cross is continuing on our, in our lives. So, this is talking about personal sanctification. Now, majority of you may say, what is that? Meaning you have been set aside and you're dying to yourself daily. The best picture I can give you is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. But do not be conformed, but be transformed by renewing your mind so that you may know what is the perfect will of God. In essence, it's a worship thing that you're doing for God. And the book of Amos says this, Amos 3, 3. Can two people walk together and they say agree on the direction they need to go? No, can't. But you have to, have to be in one mind. Therefore, one of the things he's talking about, he used metaphors, a variety of metaphors. He said, walking in a path, looted like a tree, built like a building under construction, and then he uses overflowing like a flooding river. That's what he uses. They don't have correlation, but he is trying to show different angles of how to walk in Christ. Therefore, being rooted in Christ, I, I became a student of studying the roots for a while, of the trees. Notice there are different types of trees there. They, look at, they have different roots because each root is specific to certain breed of trees. Now, I grew up in a, as a farmer for 25 years. I planted a lot of trees, so, and I know. Now, a tree, in order for it to stand and have proper equilibrium, they need to have roots going to the ground, depending on what it is, and spreading along so that whenever the wind comes, it can stay and doesn't, doesn't fall over. Now, the question I have for you is, how deep are your roots in Jesus Christ? Because, remember, the storms are going to come. And how are those storms going to find you? Are you weak or strong? Because if you're weak, you're going to fall over. I'm sure you have driven after a storm and see some trees which are, the roots are like this. Some Christians are like that. The question is, which one, which one are you? Now, a picture of a tree is telling this. Firmly rooted so that it gets its water and nutrients from the soil to grow and be healthy. It can withstand storms that blow against it and endure a time of drought because of its roots. Roots are hidden from the view, but they are absolute essential. Without these deep roots, the tree will fall over in a storm and die during drought. 
Now, you have wondered, you have seen Christians here and there, and sometimes you don't see anymore, they disappear. Because, you know what? The storm came. The flood came, and they fell over. Because they were not grounded and looted in Christ the way they, the, how, the, how they, sh- the way they should, so to speak. Now, I went online and looked at some things. Now, you see there is a, a notion there. Now, I want you to look at those roots there. They're still standing. Somebody cut the tree off, but the roots are still standing. The erosion have come. See from where it is. It used to be uh, soil, but now you see just the roots still standing there. Unless you excavate that thing, it's going to still be standing there until it rots. It's showing you how strong roots are. Now, notice the next one. It's still standing regardless the water is there. The tree is still there because the roots are so deep. Now, as Christians, we need to be solidified in the Word of God and put it into our heart so that we may be able to withstand trials, temptation, issues of life. And in all you're not grounded, other things are going to come in and you're going to be destroyed when the, wind, the, storm, uh, the, the, uh, the storm comes. Now, the next verb Paul uses is very important to understand. Now, notice the difference. Look at that tree. Just look at it. There is something about that tree. It's green. It's standing beside the still waters. It's having all the nutrients. The roots are going to the ground. Notice the canopy. The, the way you see the canopy, that tells you how the root system is wide and spread and deep. And also drawing the nutrients that you need. That is the lifestyle of a Christian. Because the Bible has a lot to say about that. I'm going to get it to the moment. Now, the verb used for this is a passive voice indicating that, that this rooting had been done to you by God's servant grace. Meaning you didn't do it, God did it. It means God, is, when you see a passive voice in Greek saying, God is doing it in you, although you have your part to play in there, but the effect, the, the consequences are indicated because God is doing that in your life and my life. The perfect tense indicate past completed action with a continuing effect. Thus, the picture's initial rooting, the moment we trusted Christ. As a result, we continue to be rooted because there is nothing can separate us from Christ, according to Romans chapter 8, but from the love of God. Now, from the book of um, Jeremiah, talking to us, it says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by waters that sends its root by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worry in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruits. I know you guys like fruits. Unless you're allergic to fruits. I eat a lot of fruits. Now, hey, I had a student who is allergic to uh, oranges. So I ate oranges and they came back there. They started having a problem. They had to be removed from the class. I didn't know. So I'm just saying, I'm allergic to tomatoes. I, the, I like tomatoes, but they don't like me. So that, that's how it is. Now, look at that greenery there. Is your life like that? Now, let me put it this way. If you're a believer and you have not grown from where you are, 
you're spinning your wheel and you're stagnated. You're not growing. And when you don't grow, you go backward or you die. That's how it is. So grace, right now we're in a stage of stagnation, some of us, and I'm going to be honest with you. But in order to grow, you need to get what is inside you to somebody else. Did you know when you're doing ministry, that's when you grow? If you're not going to do ministry, you're not going to grow. Yourself and others. I know in this church we have been fed the actual word of God. But the question is, are we bearing fruits? Fruit is bringing others to Christ. Fruit is teaching others to come to Christ and discipling them. That's what happens when you walk with God and Christ. You become productive for his kingdom, and he also becomes productive in your life. Not sitting down and gaining. Now, there is what we call Dead Sea in the Middle East. It just receives water. That's what it's called dead. Now, if there is a, a way for the water to go out, it's going to be fresh water lake. That means it's not going to be alive. Now, if you go to Dead Sea, you're going to get a raw salt. It's good for mining. That's it. Now, some Christians, however, they're like that. Not the contrast. How many people like that? You like that tree? How many people like that tree? That, I like it for firewood. <laughs> Notice the difference. So which are you? Only you can answer that question. Notice what the Bible says about it. For the ground that drinks the lane which often fall on it and bring forth vegetation useful for those whose sake it is also tilled, receive a blessing from God, that is you and I. But if it use thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cast, and it will end up being burnt. I have a machete at home, and I'm good at it. I grew up in a farm, so I brought the little deal this year long, and I sharpen it, and I go outside because I have wood there, and I cut, trim tough trees so they can bear. I grew up in a farm where we had uh, six uh, acres of citrus, so we had various type of fruit and trees, and every time we had to go prune whatever didn't work because it become a baggage. It takes nutrients, but it's all producing. Remember what Jesus said, that he is the vine, and we are the branches. And if the branch doesn't produce, God comes and pr prune it off. Now, you know, pruned things. He is doing his part. Now, construction, all of you probably have built homes. You have homes. You know you're going to have to keep repair and other things. But before you went to that house, it had to meet the standard of Maryland states or whatever state you live in. And the fire marshal had to come there and inspect. Now, the fire marshal is Jesus. And whatever he doesn't like, it had to be removed. So, construction had to occur. These constructions is going to be based on the things that God wants them to be there. And anything that doesn't belong needs to be cut off. Now, if you're going to a construction site, you're going to hear all kinds of noise. There's going to be a saw, there's going to be a hammer, there's going to be a nail gun, whatever it is. What am I saying? When God is working in you, it's going to be painful because he's a surgeon. 
and he's doing surgery. And you can whine, you can bury it all you want, but he is a master, remember? But he's going to do the surgery. So you might as well cooperate and let the surgeon go do <laughs> You know, Dennis just had a surgery. Uh, he was talking about that, how it's painful. He, can, he, has a, he doesn't feel, he, he can sleep here and there because he's uncomfortable. But you know what? He had to go to do that surgery to rectify the problem so he can heal. We believers have issues in our life. In order for us to get well, surgery needs to occur. And it's going to be painful. See those trials which come in there? They're, try, they're, they're, they're finding things that you need, that you need to address. Have you ever noticed God is funny? You thought you had this problem taken care of. Several years later, you went back to it. You know what? God is, not, God is saying this. You're not going to go to the next level until you deal with this thing. So we might as well sit down here and get ready for it. So the picture of construction is the present participle of phrase indicating a steady progress toward completion. If you have watched a building on a construction, sometimes progress is evidence. Frames go up, the roof go up, and sometimes you wonder, what do they do there? Because they're inside priming and putting electricity and other. Then the fire marshal comes in, hey, you didn't do it right. I was talking with a young man there today. They say, I'm moving to North Carolina. He said, they, had, they built the house, but the hall was too narrow. The fire marshal said, no, you're going to have to do it right. So they couldn't enter the house. They had to wait until it's done right. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to go anywhere with the God unless you cooperate because he, he is training you to be a child of a king and you need to be able to assume the kingly responsibility in the kingdom. Therefore, he can have to cut that, he, that thing doesn't look kingly. That building that is cut, wall is broken, need to be patched up. Not how you want, not the material that you choose, but the material that God chooses. That's the life of a Christian. God's standard is his holiness, and we need to understand that. Now, there's something else God does. I like that picture. Now, you see that lady there? She is doing the poetry. And the book of Isaiah says, Oh, yet, Lord, you are the Father, you are the, we, we are the clay, you are the porter, and we are all your handiwork. Now, that thing can fight or it won't, but it's going to be shaped the way it wants, the person who wants to shape it. Ladies and gentlemen, you can fight all you want as a believer, but I'm here to tell you, based on experience, I'm just saying experience, God is going to do what he needs to do. Since you're his child and he is your father, you can barely, we can argue, but at the, at the end of the day, you're going to have to submit so that God can do the work in your life so that you can be the gem that he wants. Now, when you walk with the Lord, sometimes there are obvious changes that others can see easily. More often, the Lord is steady at work in areas that are not dramatic, just, but just as necessary. We learn to trust and obey him in little daily matters. We judge our grumbling uh, spirit, we put to death the last of the flesh, and we speak kindly to others even when they are mean to us, and we gradually become built up as he wants. Now, I went to look something in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, say this, we are God's workmanship, meaning masterpiece. For, it says, we are his workmanship, 
his own, his our, our, he, he is our own master, our master, work of art, created in Christ, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking path which he has set, so that we will walk in them, living the good life for which he prearranged and made ready for us. What does that mean to be a masterpiece? The word masterpiece means, translated from Greek, means poema. Now, that word should sound familiar to you. That's where we get our word poetry and poem. Uh, some of us may think about orchestra and all that. What does that mean? Somebody wrote something here, I'm going to read it for you, because it blessed me. It says, do you know that, do you know what it means that you are God's workmanship? What is art? Art is beautiful. Art is valuable. Art is expression of the inner being of the maker, the artist. Imagine what that means. You are beautiful. You are valuable. You are an expression of very inner being of the artist, the divine artist, God himself. You see, when Jesus gave himself on the cross, he didn't say, I'm going to die just so you know I love you. He said, I am going to die. I'm going to breed. I'm going for your splendor. I'm going to go to recreate you to become something beautiful. I will turn you into something splendid. I am the artist. You are the art. I am the painter. You are the The art, I am the sculpture, you are the mambo. You don't look much like now in the quarry, but I see, oh, I'll see Jesus is the artist. You are beloved, you are crown, crowning achievement of his masterpiece. The, the, the idea of poema is that our lives, our new life in Christ, are like a poem which expresses its form and pattern along the beauty, like the underside of a grandmother's cross-teached, the everyday of our life look like knotted and helpless, tangled life. But when we turn the fabric over, we see the design and the beauty that was there all along, but we never foresaw. Perhaps you don't feel much like a work of divine poetry, but regardless of how you feel, the truth about, excuse me, the truth about as God workmanship is that you are his masterpiece, his art. In fact, a work of art that is one of a kind. You are custom designed, tailor made by the master's hand. Each of our lives is a canvas on which the master is producing a work of art that will forever, for all ages, be his glory and praise. So, remember, God is doing his work. The next says, we walk with Christ, we'll be establishing our faith. I'm sure you have seen that thing in a television. Do you trust it? I don't. You and I have ordered things through gimmicks. Oh, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And you order it, and it comes broken. Sometimes it doesn't even work. Then they say, you call them. They give you runaround. They said, oh, there is a fee for that, a fee for that. We're going to return five bucks when you paid $100. That's not a 100% guarantee. But when God says something, you can take it to the bank. The Bible says he is not a man that he should lie. So, 
says faith is the arm that reaches out into invisible to bring it to the reality or visible things that you believe what God said. In the book of John, it says, if you remain in me and my word remain in you, that is, if you are virtually, vitally united and my message live in your heart, ask whatever you wish and I'll be, it will be done for you. Notice the conditional clause. Little word, if. It's a condition, means if you're going to remain in me, do what I ask you to do, submit to me, I'm going to make sure that you get everything you ask. That's a promise. How many of us are asking God for that? You're a child of God. You have parents. You go to your parents and ask something. They may say, yes, no, wait, you're not ready. No, God, God always answers. Some of us say, oh, God never answered my prayer. I guarantee you God answered your prayer. The question is, why are you there to listen and wait to hear what he says? Because once he's going to say, yes, no, wait, do such and such. Maybe you didn't like the answer. But God always answers his prayer. Faith is important because it's how we know who God is because we can't see everything with our naked eyes. But we need to understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And finally, Paul talks about the practicality of this life. Because of what happened to all those three participants, the last one is saying, you're going to be overflowing with the burdens of thanksgiving as a result of what your, your walk with God. Now, the question is, now, I like to beg all you guys to complain. We are good complainers. We are professional in that. But God is saying, if you walk with me, you're going to be overflowing like Amazon liver. Because you're doing what God is going to bless that is what is cooperating with him. So, the question is, where are you with this? Few practical lessons, ladies and gentlemen, to understand. In order to be built up in Christ, you need to surrender your life to him. Mean that you need to give up completely your desire versus his. Because when you do it, that you'll be blessed. Come from Romans chapter 12. You need to meditate on God's words. Whatever goes in here, goes in here. And what goes in here is going to be practiced either by attitude, action, or behavior, or mannerism, however you look at it. What are you thinking? I like looking at the cows. Now you might think I'm crazy. <laughs> now, the cow has four compartments of the berry. If you have watched a cow eating, it doesn't eat. It just do like this. <laughs> From morning until noon. Then they lie down in a shed, and then you can see something coming up. It chews. That's the word used here. That what you stored, now you're going to go through it and turn it over and then apply it to become nutrients in your life. That's what it's talking about. Finally, spare time with God in prayer and worship. How many, you can never know friends unless you spend time with them, can you? You can never know someone unless you communicate with them. See, prayer is not that dangerous. Well, if you're not walking, it is just They have seen it all the time. Same with the Christians. You cannot be a believer, and your closest friends are the people who are out there doing all kind of evil stuff. It doesn't work that way. You need to join a life group somewhere so that it can be nurtured. It's like firewood. You put in a fireplace, you have to keep putting it together so it can blaze up. 
That's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. And finally, humble yourself before God. Unless you have the spirit of humility, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to work. Now, that picture there may show that uh, you are doing something, but, you know, you may bow down without humbling your heart. It's all about the attitude that you come to God by. And therefore, ladies and gentlemen, the question is, where are you today with Christ? And how, what is he doing in your life? And as Grace, I challenge you today that in order for us to go forward, we need to, first of all, heal and walk with Christ and then start looking outside to bring others to Christ. That's why grace is here for. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. Help us to be children who walk with you so we can be like you, so other people can worship you for who you are. And you said that when we worship you, we will draw men will be drawn to you. Father, today go with us as we go to our respective homes. We ask that you nurture us and be with us as we do the things that are honoring to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for the choir, those who want to be in a choir, I, saw, I was told that you tell you to come up here. Ladies and